Jason Kindle, Dimitri Young, Dennis Farrell here for Wrestling With Sports. And guys, I am really excited about my next guest. And I cannot truly say enough nice things about him. So many times I've been sitting in the backstage with Impact and P.D. Williams would run off and go do something. I'm sitting by myself and Tommy Dreamer would come by, sit down, and we would talk baseball until he had to go do something else. And this is a guy that really didn't have to do this. So every time he came by to talk to me, he went out of his way. Like he would see me across the arena, come by and sit down, and, and we would just talk. And there were hundreds of people backstage, and this guy didn't have to do that. And every time he did it and he would leave, I sat there going, this is this is my favorite person in the world because I know how busy these are from just talking with PD and knowing what Tommy does with Impact. And the fact that he took time out of his family time right now to sit and talk to us makes him even more my favorite guy in wrestling. So, Tommy Dreamer, thank you, man. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate that nice little story as well. But, uh, you know, it's this. Uh, as a wrestler, and I learned this after 9-11 uh, from Vince McMahon, uh, he said it's our job to put smiles on people's faces and help people heal. And for myself, uh, for you guys doing this, it's taking a break out of the monotony or making us just forget about what's going on. And this is why I, you know, I love doing this. Plus, I'm a gigantic baseball fan. I have tons of respect for both uh, the hosts here. So uh, looking forward to this. Yeah. Well, Tommy, I greatly appreciate you coming on. I'm a huge fan of yours, and um, I, I'm just going to cut to the chase. <laughs> Bottom line is, okay, how do you know the Impractical Jokers? Because my kids got me into it, and I've watched and I love every part. When you beat up Cube being Peter Pan, and then you went and you ended up pantsing them with the, 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 uh, the phone cord thing. I'm going to tell you what, you, it's not even going to be about wrestling with me. I love that show, and I don't know, I know you're from New York. <laughs> So I was curious, just people that you ran, uh, you just knew from running by, is it rival school, same school? No. Uh, awesome. They were fans. Um, the best part about it, they used to come to our ECW shows in Queens. Bubba had an incident, Bubba Ray Dudley with uh, Sal, and Bubba called him like either a fat fuck or a fat piece of shit <laughs> and threatened to beat him up. And they were big fans. Bubba's done that with three different celebrities. And it's funny. And as you guys experience too, uh, people that would give you a hard time, they, you know, that come back and now they're, you know, grown up adults or famous. And they're like, yeah, I remember the time you uh, threatened to beat me up at a parking lot, all this stuff. So uh, they were, uh, I didn't know the show when I, they first uh, hit me up. They, a producer hit me up, said, hey, we want to do this. And I was like, yeah, sure. I have my own wrestling company called House of Hardcore. We shot that thing uh, at my show, and the the best part about it was it was 100% real, and when they first like start pitching, the producers tell me what they want to do, and I, this is the first time I meet, I meet all of them, uh, and when I say, well, if I'm going to beat up Q, and you had to see his face, his face dropped, and he was like, what? And they like whisked him out of the room. And I was like, listen, this is my wrestling show. If he doesn't like sell my moves properly or act like he's hurt, I'm going to beat him up for real. So I have to try to talk him through this a little bit or else I'm just going to hurt. And then his friends are just like, nah, just beat the crap out of him. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> but um, that was that was the first time uh, we all hit, hit it off. Me, Bully Ray, uh, Bully's girlfriend, Velvet. 
And then uh, that second one, again, was 100% legit. They had no clue any of us were coming. We shot it in a mall uh, by my house, uh, the Palisades Mall. And the producer tells me, just walk up to him, address him, and pull down his pants. And when I go and do that, I just walked up to him. They said they had to. Go ahead. Oh, he's just geeking out. No, I was saying the underwear went with him in that episode. They had tearaway pants. And when I pulled it, uh, his penis is right in front of my face. (laughs) And I grabbed his underwear, too. And when I tell you, we're at a real ball. And the first, like, everyone explodes in laughter. And his face, like, he goes and grabs. And he just, like, he freaked out. And then he was like, he's telling everyone, I want all that footage. And he was mad. And like, he was like, dude, we're going to get arrested. And uh, so like all now, I mean, this is, this show went from a small thing. It's a bunch of, you know, friends to like a big production that it is now. And then uh, he basically was just like, dude. And I go, I didn't know I was going to pull down your underwear. I go, I didn't mean it. His face dropped. When you turn the corner of that mall, his face dropped like, Oh my gosh, Tommy Dreamer. And I don't know, Dimitri Dennis, I don't know if you guys know the show, but um, it's unbelievable. It's like four friends from uh, I think New Jersey that just try to oh. embarrass themselves. And I don't know if you, if you don't know it, go watch it. I, I It got to the point to where my kids, and I have teenagers, would always watch it. Well, now I'm the one. I made my kids go to the movie, hoping actually Tommy was going to be in it because uh, he's been in it twice now. But it is an, it's called Impractical Jokers, and all they do is just embarrass themselves. But Q's face, I mean, it dropped the second time. The first time, he beat the living crap out of, out of Q, one of, the, um, <laughs> one of the buddies. I mean, it was, it, it was awesome. And you can just tell that Q got his butt. I mean, it was. But when you turn that corner, that was probably my favorite part of, the, of any of the shows because his mouth was like, come on, hurry up, hurry up. Because the, the, the gig at the time was, or the, the thing that they're trying to do was un- – get a stranger to untie earphones you know like they knotted them all up and by the time that whoever came around the corner if the, the ear uh earbuds aren't untangled then they pull their pants down and they run well he tommy actually got his underwear in their vault so he was butt naked Jesus. but i'm telling you it's, it's such an unbelievable show dude there's uh when you're always want to watch out there's a, a screen cap of me bending over, pulling down his pants, and he's butt-ass naked, and I'm bent over, but the shot is looking like I'm on my bent over in front of it, and there's like there's like an eight-year-old boy just staring at this picture. I was like, this is the worst possible scenario to ever have. <laughs> I, I told my son that you were going to be on tonight. He's like, oh, uh, to, you know, make sure you tell him I said hi. So, Dimitri, Dennis, you have to go watch. I'm sure if you just Google. No, I, I've, I've seen the show before. I'm I'm familiar with. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Because I, I don't think it's on the same. It's on the same channel as Adam ruins everything. Yes, I love that show. True TV. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Hey Tommy. Uh, Tommy. Uh, I, yes, sir. I, I am. I am more of a wrestling nerd. My questions are going to be wrestling based, and and I didn't even have to do research. I remember reading in PWI. I used to get that magazine every month, even as a professional baseball player, to keep up with my wrestling. And so I, 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 I geek out on where the wrestlers come from and, and how they start out. And I remember you as T.D. Madison, yep. Eastern Championship Wrestling. And 
And can you tell me the story? I, I've seen it already on, on WWE Network, but you talking about that. But it, it, it seems like everything that has happened from that day to now, I mean, it has ECW stamped all over it, and you get the ECW chance everywhere you go. I mean, do you like do you, do you still enjoy getting that ECW chant? And just give me a little bit about your um, history, because I'm really intrigued by it. Uh, absolutely. Um, well, when I first started out, I was tra trained by WWE Hall of Famer Johnny Rods. And uh, my first match, I kind of got put on the spot. Uh, and, and as you guys, I'm sure, know from dealing with veteran baseball players, uh, I'm dealing with my veteran crazy uh, coach, trainer. And I, I wanted to be called actually first Tommy Acid. And like the great Muda blow acid in my opponent's face. And I wanted to paint my face. <laughs> and he's like, you're too good looking. Uh, and you got a good body to be that. Change your name or else I'm going to call you Tommy Dickhead. And I was like, <laughs> and I remember like going to my mom. I was like, I don't want to be Tommy Dickhead. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so uh, Dusty Rhodes was my hero. He's the reason uh, I got into wrestling. So he was the American dream. So then Tommy Dreamer. That was uh, how that you, you start cool. off, you know, just like small independent wrestling, trying to make a name for yourself. And then uh, I hooked up with ECW. Uh, the TD Madison came from a, a small company that I was working for, kind of like minor league baseball. And it was called ICW. And there was a wrestler already there named GQ Madison. And they put us together. Uh, I just met him that day. They were like, you're his younger brother. We'll call you. TD Madison for Tommy Dreamer Madison. Uh, we wore bow ties. We our backstory was we were strippers and we won the titles <laughs> that night. And uh, from there, I, I hooked up with uh, ECW and I had a I wrestled uh, Taz. I actually drove Taz to the show. I wasn't booked on the show. And then the next day, me and Taz had a match, and uh, Paul Heyman saw something in me, and I had a job. Uh, in ECW ever since. It's my legacy. It's what I'm most proud of. And uh, for my career, the fact that 20 years later, fans are still talking about it. Whenever somebody pulls out a Singapore cane or something is duplicated, <laughs> uh, WWE, I know my Twitter is blowing up or, or my Instagram because, but that's, you know, it's a great homage to, uh, I guess, the brutalness of my career and how, I, I was a really young, good-looking, muscular kid. And the, as you guys know, this was in Philly, and Philly's a hard crowd. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they, didn't, they liked my wrestling, but they didn't like my look because I was a prototypical 1990s Guido good-looking guy. And uh, I had a sweet mullet at one point. And uh, it was Taz who went to Paul Heyman and was like, listen, this kid is tough. And he goes, I I've, I've dropped him on his head with all these different suplexes. And, and then we did a, a famous angle where I got caned for real by the Sandman. And then the people, like, it literally turned for me at that moment uh, where by the third hit, the fans were – the first hit and the second hit and the third hit, the fans were cheering for every time. And, and back then it was now smarter wrestling fans with, with you know, the blossoming of the internet and – by the fourth one, people are seeing the welts on my back and they're seeing me bleeding. And then like the same fans that would boo me are like, Tommy, stay down. And I, I took my 10 and I got a standing ovation. I took another two after that. 
and then Ooh. it was off to the races. So, uh, yeah, it was, and you know, it's funny after that, about six months later, the Sandman comes up to me. He's like, do you know, if we cut these things on the cane, it doesn't hurt as much. And I was like, yeah, dude, thanks. Uh, I have the scars to prove it. Unbelievable. I wish you would have learned that six months ago. Right. Uh, and that Singapore cane hurts, man. And it's like when you it's a real it's the only real weapon in professional wrestling. Like a table is, you know, used for sitting my laptop on doing this and, and a chair is used for sitting, but that is a, a real, it's called a Shanai or, or a kendo stick, a Singapore cane. And uh, when it hits you, the bamboo opens up and it clips your skin. So it hits cuts at the Ooh. same time. And uh, when the, the, the bands are pulled all the way down, it's just, it's just like getting hit with a baseball bat and it friggin' kills. It does bend, but man, it hurts. I hate that thing. I was the worst baby face ever because I would bring it into the ring, but it would always get used on me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love asking Dimitri and Jason this question like all the time because when they were players, you know, they had a very standoffish relationship with the media, and now they're retired and technically doing a podcast. They're part of the media. As a wrestler, did you really like or hate dirt, dirt sheets? And now that you're on the other side, you have a podcast, you have the most successful, uh, at least wrestling radio show ever. Do you do you find yourself understanding more what the dirt sheets or those guys had to go through when trying to talk to you or get dirt now that you're on the other side of the coin? No. Uh, okay. Here's the, here's the big difference. Uh, back when there was dirt sheets, there was people talking about rumors and speculation and also, uh, and, and I know uh, both Dimitri and Jason have gone through this. The media can formulate anything that they want. And back then there was really only two uh, media, uh, you know, it was the torch and the observer. I I've never had a problem with them, but it it's it. Well, I actually threw, uh, the guys from the torch out of the back because back then you shouldn't have been back there. My main thing for wrestling, it's, you know, everyone knows the finishes are predetermined, but I always say I open my Christmas gifts on Christmas, not Christmas Eve, or when they give out spoilers or they talk about rumors or, you know, the media will automatically address you as guilty as opposed to listening to your story or getting something called facts. And back then it was a lot of BS and there was people who lived by that stuff. And that was never me, uh, never has been to be on the other side. I don't feel I give the business away because I feel people did that. And it was actually to hurt the business as opposed to, um, like for me, it's telling stories. It's also just like any former person who played any game. You're trying to help others as well as teach them from learning from your mistakes. Uh, and but that's unbelievable. So, I mean, like beat writers, like, I mean, do, do when I say that, like, there was a certain amount of beat writers, basically, depending on where you played, however many. I mean, in Pittsburgh, there was basically two they had the Tribune and, and then the Post Gazette. But you got to know these guys. Now there's more, and you got the MLB.com and this and that, but. Are there like where are there like certain reporters that um, travel with you to where you guys become there buddies be, with and, and you can trust? No, not like that. There, actually. there would be. Uh, well, there back then there it was called the sheets, and there was a uh, 
uh, Dave Meltzer and he had the Wrestling Observer, which he still has more, more so now. They were like newsletters. The, now it's everything's online. And then there was a Pro Wrestling Torch with Wade Keller. And they would go and like search out for information or like who was backstage or if there was an argument between two people in the back or i mean honestly dude we used to have ecw was nuts there was like real fights in the back there was awesome. there was a lot of stuff it was it was ecw was sex drugs and rock and roll and for stuff to be reported about people's personal lives or what's going on and then they would also uh, they still they give their opinions about a wrestling match and me being a wrestler i understand it's your opinion but then other people would read it and read it like it's gospel as opposed to like performers saying this, like this was a great match or this wasn't a great match. And people like, Oh, you had a one star match. And I'm like, yeah, really? Well, if you weren't there and you're reading in a newsletter, uh, you weren't there listening to the crowd. And if they had a personal, I don't want to say an issue with you, you never could ever get out of that. And, And, you know, uh, it, the baseball i'll tell you what really bothers me about baseball is uh writers control who could be in the hall of fame they have these votes yep. and i oh, wish we had players and coaches who could be part of that because i think it would be a whole different type of hall of fame and it's nothing against the writers and and i know they're right but like i'm watching the jordan documentary and a lot of the stuff even the death of his own father People are like, oh, well, he may have been murdered because Michael Jordan had uh, had uh, debts to gambling. And like they're all trying to tie and make up this. And if one person says it and now it's a lot. I mean, trust me, it's all it's clickbait. And that's unfair. I, listen, I, I have been a part. The WWE recently um, let go of a lot of people during the pandemic. And I on my podcast, I talk about you can't hate. Vince McMahon for making a business decision during this time. And I was just like, you know, think if it was your business the next day, uh, my wife comes downstairs and she's like, you're the number one Google trend because somebody went, listen to what I said. And like it said, Tommy dreamer praises Vince McMahon. And I didn't say that. I just said, you shouldn't hate somebody for running a business, but you go out there and say something and then people spin it for a clickbait. And then all of a sudden you're like, aren't these guys your friends that you, they just got fired. I was like, I didn't say that, but I'm just talking business. And, and that's, that's today's world. No, you're right. And it sounds like a calmness <laughs> because your beat writers will travel with you in baseball. And you, you do get to develop a relationship because they get to see what you do every day. And then you see what they do every day. You know, the columnists come in once a month and they're going to write something and everybody reads it and everybody believes it. But uh, your beat, that's why I was just curious about that. But no, I, I couldn't agree with you more that uh, you, you really have to, especially nowadays with the internet, you, know, you really have to, to, to watch what you say. And you know, I learned that I was, you know, 21 year old punk said whatever I wanted to say. And I, I learned that, you know, when certain people are around it, Hey, you know what? It was a great game. It was a good win. Go get them tomorrow. Just to be your A and B answers. And, and the next, this next thing you know is everybody goes because that's what they, they want the, the negative, negative. That's how they sell their papers, which I don't even know how many papers are out there anymore, but, um, but that, that's nuts. I'm, I'm glad you said that, and I'm, I'm glad you because it is wrong with um, the, the 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 some of the votes, whether it be NFL. Because I know for a fact a lot of writers don't like me, and I'm just saying that out of 
and I, but I know there's certain you got to get five percent for a Hall of Famer. If people just don't understand that, that if you are, uh, you're, I'm different when I played. I'm a nice guy trying to raise kids, and I, I know I'm, that I'm number one in the parking line because I, that's my competitiveness, and I beat everybody in seventh grade. Guarantee you out in Kansas. But besides the point is, my three hours a night that I played, I was an ass, but I was an ass under control, I guess, so, so to speak. But uh, no, that's uh, it's neat to know that that's how it is everywhere or in wrestling. Hey, hey, Tommy, I like what you was talking about with the whole Hall of Fame voting, and there should be players and, and coaches and, and possibly even a piece of the pie for even the fans to vote, you know, as opposed to the writers, because there are grudges, and you was bringing up so many parallels when you was talking about, you know, how the media twists words around and to make their story sound better, because you may give a, a bland interview, you know, you go 0 for 4 with four punch outs and you lose, you're not going to get the best interview in the world, so they may say something to try and spice it up, but I, I, I totally get everything that you're talking about. I love this program, um, Dennis, because I'm seeing so many parallels between professional wrestling and baseball. So I many. Mean, it is beautiful. It mm. is. Uh, to me, it's the same lifestyle. It's entertainment. Um, we all start off with a dream. Uh, you guys are, uh, it's so hard to do what you guys do. And then, you know, the grind of being on the road and training because you're literally judged the moment, you know, you're, you're signed by a team and to get, to get signed is a whole next level. Um, and then, yeah, there's politics involved too, but you start off in, in, you know, independent ball, single A, double A, triple A, uh, that's trying, you know, to me, that's doing independent wrestling or that's cultivating your talents in, you know, back in the day it was ECW. Now there, there's other places to start working. Uh, but then like, and I would always say it when I work behind the scenes of WWE, um, because I kind of ran what's now NXT. It was the moment you get the moment you get called up for Raw. You have to be even more competitive, and, and it sounds weird because we're a predetermined sport. But there are, for you guys, there's so many more people trying to not take away your spot, and it's the same in wrestling. But the difference in wrestling was there would only be like, especially now, there's only four teams to play with all these different great, you know wrestlers so think about if there was only four teams in baseball how much more competitive and you have to be that competitive because you guys have to strive to be the best a thousand percent we had michael elgin on and he was really insightful on how the crowds in japanese japan are not really always trying to get the the dirt, taking wrestling for what it is and sitting back and enjoying it and not being so information driven. Is there a way that the American crowds can learn from that or that we can even find a middle ground from where we are today to where we were in the 80s where wrestling was real and, and, and step back and enjoy the sport for what it is or are we just going down the drain and it's only going to get worse? I don't think it's going to get worse Here's, uh, you know, since we're also doing a, a baseball podcast, and I always I wondered if they told you the final score of the Yankees are playing the White Sox, and if they told you the Yankees would beat the White Sox five to four, would people still tune into the game? 
for wrestling, I, I everyone wants to, to speculate. First. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, for wrestling, a lot of people always speculate that uh, they know what's going on, but then you could always get these great moments where people don't understand that wrestling will always be a controlled vi- environment. Where like my job as a uh, as you know helping out in ECW with Paul Heyman or running you know shows or running my own promotion, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, when people s- report about it, it it's different. Uh, I don't think f- I think the best part about social media when it's used properly, or you see all these new documentaries, people have more respect for uh, what you go through, and you know now it's just. It's different because back then it was like it was it was oh that's fake fake crap and then they realized oh no there's no off season oh no these guys really really beat the crap out of each other the toll it takes on their body so I don't think it'll ever get to that but you listen no matter what you'll always have your negatives you always have your positives but wrestling is more popular than ever uh, the best part about like I said professional wrestling during this pandemic. Uh, I know on Mondays with WWE Raw, Tuesdays with Impact, Wednesdays with NXT and AEW, and Fridays with SmackDown, there's going to be something else trending except for outside of COVID or, or anything negative. And that's, like I said, that's our jobs to do. Uh, whether it's good or bad, but it's still, to me, it's good because people are talking about uh, something that should be just an escape. People want to take stuff too literally. I love baseball. Uh, I cannot go up and take a baseball bat and stand in front of a major league pitcher and have a, a ball thrown at me 90 miles an hour and try to hit it. And people would try to judge that. People don't understand the nuances of that game, just like the nuances of my game. And though we've all played baseball, we've but play or do things at a professional level that all three of us have done, it's different. And when you play the game, you understand it better. And that's why there's, I don't want to say outsiders, but there's people who are going to talk like they know the business. And then there's people who have actually done the business. <laughs> wow. You talk about, that's, that's exactly what goes on with us in baseball, especially with the amateur side and, and, and listening to people who never played the game, but yet they'll try and discredit me because it's like, just because he played, it doesn't mean, that he can teach it. And it, it just totally baffles me that you go through the exact same thing. I mean, wow. It's, it's unbelievable. And you know what? Getting back to what I, I, I could sit here and talk to you all night. Now, I want to try to make this part quick because I watched an interview with you today that I'm actually, you know, the people that think, okay, wrestling's fake and this and that. Um, I watched an interview talking about concussions um, today because I'm right there with you. I feel the same way. And it happened when I got clocked at the plate. Obviously, there's no more plate collisions by Gary Sheffield. And, and if, if he would have done that the year before, we wouldn't have gotten a fight. But, and that's what I said in the paper too. But he, I'm tell you what, he got me. But after that, every foul tip that I got off my mask, I mean, I had to like wait for a second, like a, a good, you know, 95 mile an hour fastball. And, and, and I had more than one, but I was listening to you today in this interview, you know, just trying to do some, some prep stuff. And I, I didn't even watch anything else because I was so locked out because I'm this, I feel the same way. And so the people out there that are, oh, it's fake, it's already, there's already an outcome, you guys beat yourselves up till knowing. We see it. We, and, and, you know, you're, I guess your average fans, well, yeah, yeah, that's fake. Da, da, da. 
No, I listened to that interview. And, and I, if anybody's listening out here today, I would love for them. I can't remember the, the guy that was interviewing you, but it, you know, I've got 16 concussions and this and that. I'm like, man, that sounds kind of like, and this is what Tommy was saying today. And I was more locked in on that conversation because I can't stand it. Like, oh, it's fake. It's, there's already an outcome. And you know what? Look at this interview right here. This dude's mind. And I've already uh, told my wife, you know, donate my brain because I'll guarantee you because it's a serious, serious thing. And I know Dimitri has a friend or a, 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 a old teammate, Ryan Friel, who had something similar. And, you know, he, he had he ended up committing suicide and, you know, he left his family behind. And it's a serious, serious thing. So what you guys do to your body, it is not a a uh, oh, that's it's planned out. Now, you guys go through a bunch of stuff. But when and I watched no that today, union. And, yeah, and no union. And when, when I watched that today, I was more locked in on that than, I, than anything else about you, because a lot of that was like kind of words coming out of my mouth. I mean, I feel the exact same way. So how are you holding up today? You're a little bit older than, than we are, um, but you're still doing it. And I'm assuming that has to be the passion. You still love doing it and, and, and the paycheck. And, um, you know, I, I had one more wrestling question that I'll talk to you about later. Dimitri kind of covered it, but how, how's your body feeling right now? Dude? Are, are you taking a lot more time off now because you're banged up and you, you are a little older? You look great. You're in you. great shape. And um, um, but you know, talk to me about that. Well, uh, I feel great. I never thought. I always was afraid the day I stopped wrestling, how much my body would hurt. Uh, I jokingly say pandemic life suits me well because I love hanging out with my family and my dogs, but my body feels really, really good. Um, I have, I've wrestled 30 years, uh, still wrestling up until this pandemic for the last two years, I wrestled 203 shows a a year, uh, all by my own doing. Uh, still have a pretty aggressive style. Uh, I'm not what I used to be, but uh, I'm kind of trying to pattern myself after Terry Funk. Uh, I'm going to do my first moonsault to the crowd when I'm 55, so I got like uh, five more years to go. But um, uh, physically, I feel good. Mentally, I feel good. Uh, if you wanted to list my injuries, I, I jokingly do where I stop. I start at the top of my head and I go to the bottom. Uh, forget about how many stitches, forget about how many concussions. My, I guess most people are, are most, uh, like shocked when I say, I remember having three in a week. I got one on a Friday, one on a Saturday, and then I had another one the following Saturday. And then, uh, I woke up after a match. I was actually tagging with Terry Funk and I disappeared for, uh, three hours (laughs) and I woke up at a, a Wawa and I drove around Philadelphia for three hours. Totally. I'd have no clue where I was in my life. Um, I was still in my gear, uh, broke my nose three times. Uh, I tore my shoulder. I tore my, uh, biceps, both this bicep, which now I'm starting to see atrophy, um, tore both my pecs, which now I also have worse man boobs. Hmm. Um, I broke my neck. I broke my back. I broke uh, every bone. I shattered my heel. I broke in 17 fingers, which sucks because you only have 10, and I don't know which one I've broken more than <laughs> once. But uh, I never had a surgery, and I am still keep on going. I joke, and I always say muscles tear and rip, but fat absorbs, so I'm happy I still got my love handles and my big ass. I can relate and, to that. And uh, I'm just going to keep going. You know, that, that's what's crazy is, is all this that, that has happened to your body. And, 
you just still go on. And that's the difference with the, between the times. Never a surgery. That is unbelievable. Torn this, torn that, and still going out there. So, you know, anybody that's out there that's listening that says, you know, oh, it's, you're, it's a bunch of BS because this is living proof. He's still doing it, and he's still doing it at a very high level. And, and God, dog it. But I watched that interview today, and it was just unbelievable because your body can't feel good, and you continue to go out there for the fans to put on a great show. I, I will jump in because I want to take this a little bit different because you have Bust Open Radio, which I'm a big fan of. And I want to stay away from current wrestling talk a little bit because that's really where you, you make your money on Busted Open. But Dimitri and I, we talk a lot on this show about this. And the last several guests, Dimitri has really kind of jabbed this question. And I feel like I'm going to steal it from Dimitri this time. So uh, close line. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm about to ask, don't you? You know, well, my question was going to be about. I just wanted to know more about. Do it. You know, that's with, the question. With, okay, Tommy, you're you're a veteran of the game, and you get you got to the point where it's time to give back. Where I was a professional baseball player, I coach high school, I do amateur stuff with MLB and stuff, and a lot of the former players they have academies and things like that. So basically, what I'm getting at is the house of hardcore. And you, what are your responsibilities with that outside of being the owner? Uh, my question, uh, Dennis. Oh, mine's different. Okay. Well, to answer that, that one, I had my own, you know, wrestling company. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Plus it basically started from a wrestling school. It, uh, I love doing it. I have no patience to teach people the absolute basics because, uh, I, I'm under my trainer and it's different. If I got up the wrong way, he would step on my hands or stomp on my arm and say, like, you get up the wrong way, you're going to get hurt. So now he was showing me hurt. If you did that today, you could probably get sued uh, when you're training people, uh, as well as if I keep telling you you're making the same mistakes and you're not learning from that. And this is your very basics. Like, I was like, I don't understand how you cannot fathom this so i would have someone else teach the basics and then when you get a little bit more polished i would help you out that way um me and bully ray that we have uh, a school up in connecticut um it's been shut down for a while uh for me with house of hardcore it just got to be too tedious with because i was also away so much and, and trying to get you know, it's also a business trying to get young people to, and, and I'm sure you guys experience it. Like anyone thinks they could do play baseball. Anyone thinks they could be a pro wrestler. There'd be people. There was a guy, I remember he showed up and he was smoking before he was going to get in the ring. And I was just like, come in the ring, bro. <laughs> and you know, people don't want to get in shape. And, and I was like, you know, guys, there was one point in my career. I, did not miss a gym for five years straight. I was one of those guys that, oh man, at, at 235, 240 pounds, six foot three, I, I felt I was too small and I always had to work out. I worked out on Thanksgiving, on Christmas, and but there's people who just like wouldn't take it seriously. So with, with House of Hardcore or, or with any of my responsibilities, it's literally you're the owner of the team, the GM of the team 
you also play first base for the team. Uh, you also have to worry about concessions for the team. You also have to worry about taking tickets for the team. So when you're when you're doing something as small as as an inter, uh, as uh, a, a small independent company, you have to worry about all that stuff. But you know what? I, I did that in ECW uh, back in the day. It's kind of all I know, and I still love that pressure. But for me, it was never pressure. Uh, you also like are the manager because you have to write out the show. You have to book the talent. You have to book the flights for the guys. It, it's so much work. The end result was greatness with you see, you know, the fans faces as well as you put a little extra scratch in your pocket. But um, it's just it's so much work. And when people go after, a, let's say, a Vince McMahon, uh, I, I know he has done that, too. I remember. I'm great friends with Shane McMahon, and he says, I remember hanging up posters with my dad. Um, I did that with Paul Heyman in ECW. We'd get in his Corvette, and we'd go hang up posters and go into delis and be like, hey, the show called ECW is coming to town, and then we go and edit the show. So, I mean, that's all I know. And, and I'm happy I do because you should learn every uh, aspect of the game. And, you know, if you, you hear so many stories of, oh, that guy was a bat boy or – you know, then guess what? He became a, a, a player and you should learn every aspect because there's jobs outside of, you know, I've been blessed to have a 30 year career, but there's, there's still jobs in the industry, just like in baseball, you know, like you said, you could give back to the, but you could also be, you, you're contributing to the, the thing that you've given your entire life to. Uh, my question was more current day impact product, which I'm a massive fan of. Well, not because I know the yeah, guys same here. and, and I've, I've hung out, but you know, impact has done a great job of trying to distance themselves from the TNA name and due to the COVID circumstances. And I don't even know if it was part of the game plan to begin with. You, you bring back a little bit of the TNA name. It was going to be a, a, a special event at WrestleMania is is there plans to really go forward more with a TNA either brand or click or 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 grow the TNA within Impact now that you guys have built a solid Impact brand name, or is this like, hey, look, we're gonna sit back, we're gonna enjoy a little bit of this TNA nostalgia, we'll sweep it under the rug, and maybe in two years we'll lift the rug up and see if it's still there. Uh, the for the plan that we're the the WrestleMania. Weekend show that show was doing phenomenal. There are always people. It, it's to me, it, it would be. It's a little confusing. Uh, I don't understand what we're doing with Moose. Like Moose is claiming he's the TNA champion, but he didn't beat anybody. But uh, you know, when it comes to business and ratings, that I think Impact did a great job of getting the negative off of them. And even during these times, not only is everyone getting paid, they're hiring people. They, they've le recently rehired uh, two talents and they just hired a third. Uh, they, they hired where everyone is making cuts, but they're, they're still continuing to try to grow the brand. They're, the TNA show that they did on the network did very, very well. And I think that it's something to explore down the line. But, you know, the, everything has been on pause recently. So whatever game plans that they had, uh, it just kind of things got put on pause. But there are a lot of fans that still like TNA. I, I'm indifferent to it. 
but the, I'm indifferent to it because of like a the there's a lot of bad associated with those words uh, as opposed to you know there's there's people in wrestling there's people in baseball that you say their name like Ugh, you know yeah, so uh, <laughs> don't get us started <laughs> yeah no yeah no idea oh well and uh, so so for that. I know that show did very, very well. And for uh, uh, the the network, you know, Anthem Sports owns Access Television. So they get the best part is like I get to see all this data and all that stuff where it's like, wow, it's a different side of the of the business because a network owns the brand. And if it comes down to, well, this did great ratings, then there could be so. And you know what? It could be good because. I mean, there's Raw and there's SmackDown. They're owned by the same company. Their AEW has their show, and they're talking about bringing in a secondary show. So you never know what the future holds, but I just know for now, everything's kind of been put on hold. I know it would work with Moose. I would love to see like an NWO version of TNA. And, you know, maybe not a show, but like a couple of the originals, and then you kind of sneak some young blood in there that wasn't really there. But, you you know, you kind of... You fudge the association as you go. Now, I, hey, you're getting me excited, Dennis. I, I, I'm looking for if that's the way that because you heard my questions and like you yeah. said, you stole that question from me, and that's the right person to ask right there. You know, with Tommy Dreamer, would you be going after the TNA belt yourself if presented the opportunity? Uh, my days of going after <laughs> titles. Uh, I was never a big title guy. Um, I kind of look at myself as a, a player coach. And my job is to help. The hardcore title is the title. I don't care what anybody says. You can go out (laughs) and do what you did. That's the title. That's the title. My opinion. Now, Uh, uh, I I enjoyed it. uh, But like I said, my my job is to try to help elevate talent and take it to the next level, take them to the next level, be very, very hands on coach. and, And I do love that role. And, you know, I've taken, I feel a lot of talents. Uh, along that ride with me. And it's just at times it's when, when you get it. And I know you guys understand when you finally grasp the game and understand it, it it's so much easier. Tommy, this is where you and I. Dennis, meet. time out. I have to ask one question. Then I swear I'll let you guys geek out on the wrestling or whatever until the baseball. Court. But I have to ask this just for knowing him for a second. So one of my favorite Tommy Dreamer moments ever and um, was Monday Night Raw. And the Dudley boy, why it's kind of like, I think it was more of their first type, whatever thing. And, and I think I understand now by just listening to you for a little bit, why you're still doing this. And I, I hope I'm right. But when they announced you, and I, I, I'm assuming you guys know what I'm talking about. Obviously Tommy does. When you came out with that trash can and the, your music came out, I got goosebumps. It was an absolute rush. And the whole crowds, this is, I guess my question is the whole ECW and then, and then they're going, holy shit, holy. Does that still give you like just an absolute rush when you get into the ring? And I guess the reason I'm saying this is because I got goosebumps when I saw that. I don't even know how many years ago it was, but God, that was awesome. Do you still have that rush when you walk down to the ring uh, and, and everybody's yelling at, for you? And, and absolutely. That's I'm getting goosebumps by you describing it because you're going from a fan's awesome. perspective. I really do have goosebumps. Um that was in, that was four years ago, and the Bully Ray had come up with the idea. And like we said, it, as the older 
talent. It's us to help groom the next guys. And it was Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman, uh, Brody Lee, who's, you know, the Wyatt's Brody Lee's no longer there. But when they asked me to come back, the best part about that time was everything that they said. It's not like the dangling carrot where, Hey, you know, cause I knew where I was in my life. I wasn't going back to, Oh, I want to, you know, be the WWE champion or they told me exactly what they wanted to do for the, you know, Hey, it's going to be a, a five week thing. It's going to end at a pay-per-view. Awesome. Thank you. And you knew your job was to get, uh, this guy, this team over, uh, to tell you a little behind the scene where I I've never said this. I'm a very, very confident person and I've never been, I've been nervous after ECW, I've been nervous twice. I wasn't nervous when I made my WWE debut, but that was the second time in my career I was nervous and I'm waiting there. And I always say like a little prayer before I go out there and I just turn to God and, and I'm not an overly religious person, but I, I count my blessings. And, and I just said, please let them remember me because I hadn't been there in so long. And when my music hit and I heard that eruption... Oh. I became Tommy Dreamer and that little doubt that can creep in your head could make you get lost in your head. It's the worst. And then I was just like, thank you, God. And I walked out there and it was just because re- I always wrestling fans will never forget. They'll never forget. And I, and I know you guys know this too. Fans of yours will never forget. They'll tell you plays that you made or hits that you did that you don't even remember. But that moment for me was so, so special. And that little run in WWE was great. They wanted to re-sign me and offered me a lot of money at, I think I was, what? I was 47 years old. No, 46. And they offered me more money than they were paying me when I signed when I was in my 30s. Mm. But uh, just was just like, mm, I, I couldn't do it then. But yeah, man, it was it was great. Yeah, and then to, awesome. to be with the guys and tear it up the way we we had a really mm-hmm. cool feel. and i love that monday night raw match that we had but the funny part about it was later i learned like that was like braun Strowman's like seventh match ever and he is the ever? biggest human being ever like Ooh. not like seventh match at wwe ever and when we're going all this over this stuff and like I'm like oh well, I'll go off the stage and like they're also like also placing like, all these like crazy things. I had to stop and go, guys. Number one, I kind of feel like Kramer because I technically don't even work here, and <laughs> you're like I'm going off the stage. I'm getting power slammed through here. I'm doing. This. I was like I'm the oldest guy here. <laughs> Can somebody else do something? <laughs> but it, it was great. And- and, and I love seeing Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman's success and, and Brody Lee's now in AEW, but that was a great moment in my my life and why like the fans mean everything. And like you said, it's all about, I, I always say this, I, I, my real name is Thomas Lachlan. I wish I could be Tommy Dreamer all the time because we, when that music hits, you just hit a home run, you know, oh. a, a game winning home run. It's and it's like that all for me. I always say wrestling is the biggest drug you can ever have because that adrenaline. I don't feel pain when I'm out there, 
when I come back, I'm like, Oh my God, why did I do that? You know, you're going to be, you're 50 years old. What the hell's wrong with you? But when I'm out there, I'm, I'm 25 years old. I have a full set of hair and I'm about 25 pounds lighter, but, and I love it. That is awesome. I mean that, 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 cause like I said, it was a rush for me and, and, I, this I, is one of those things I won't forget, but that and that was in Pittsburgh as well. I know, I know it was. I, I wasn't there, but I just remember watching it, and I'm going like, oh, and, and you know, like probably everybody that's Demetrius probably if we weren't playing, we were probably like, oh my god, Tommy Dreamer, and you <laughs> ran out of that trash can, you threw that, let's let's go, boys, and oh, and then ECW, and then holy shit, and oh, just I, it was all, it, good stuff. I will say this ask, now. I'll, Shut up. Okay, good, good. I will say this as we transition into the baseball talk. I know Tommy has to go soon. And if you don't love Tommy now or you don't love Tommy after Busted Open, I want to kind of close the wrestling on one great Tommy Dreamer story that I witnessed for firsthand. I'm sitting next to PD at the merch booth, and PD was like a couple tables down from Tommy. And Tommy always has a line of people signing stuff, and he starts telling this one guy a story. Well, the line keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Tommy looks up and notices it and tells the kid, I'm going to finish this story. Come come around the table. Sit down right here. I'm going to sign autographs for these guys, but I'm going to give you the time you deserve with this story. Now, I've seen a lot of wrestlers that won't even look up if you don't have any money in their hands. And I'm not going to call anybody out by name. I, I've seen a lot of stuff, and I just go, Pete, do you, do you see this? This is awesome. He goes, that's just Tommy being Tommy. He just loves people. And I, I for that moment right there, once again, makes Tommy Dreamer one of my favorite people. Oh, well, thank you. And, uh, you, you know, you, I joke about it, but uh, I'm still a fan. I literally was working out before this, and I'm watching the WWE Network. I'm watching – 1979 wrestling when I first was able to see it. But uh, I've told the story before uh, and I'm happy I'm friends with him. But like Bob Backlund once snubbed me for an autograph. And I remember it was on my birth. It was like for my birthday present. Uh, I went to go see him wrestle and I was heartbroken. I remember getting in the car and my father was like, you okay? And I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm 10 years old and I'm, I'm fighting back tears and my father was just like going to get out of the car and go fight Bob Backlund. I was like, no, dad. And my friend was in the back seat. But I never forgot that feeling of, of dejection. And, you know, when somebody takes the time out for you to just tell them about what you or ECW to them, it, it is special. And for, you know, it's just uh, I, I recently a fan passed away. And they tag you on Twitter and it's like, hey, this guy's a fan. You take a picture with that guy. And then I remembered the guy. And uh, I was like, oh, crap. And like, I just because I had a brief meeting with somebody, but we shared a great experience. And, you know, like I said, it's it's different. But I never I don't uh, I don't forget that. I don't like every person, but uh, I like uh, respectful people. And just if, if to me, buying a ticket is, is one thing. Um, it doesn't entitle you to anything, but if you spent money uh, to come have a good night, it's I'm going to make sure you're going to have a good night. It all goes back hey, to treat people put. the way you want to be treated. Perfectly put. All right, Tommy, this is where you and I go from interviewer to interviewee back. to where we get the nerd out and talk baseball with two baseball players. And uh, 
I'm going to sit back and let you take over because I know what kind of a baseball fan you are. We both share the love for baseball, and I geek out every time I get on with these two guys. That I'm like, I still can't believe that I'm friends with two guys that play baseball that I grew up watching. I own their baseball cards. And before we recorded, you started talking about how you're friends with baseball players, and I'm sure it still boggles your mind. Like, why are these guys talking to me? It boggles my mind as well. Thanks, bud. If you could, uh, my camera's still working. Can you see my uh, memorabilia up there? Yeah, no, you're you're yes. you're you're on pause. I can't see anything. Maybe no. it's my thing, but I saw it when you were doing the um, after dark with um, New Jack. I was yeah. loving the background, all the the um, the merchandise, all the the action figures and stuff. Cool. Yeah, but cool I got moment. I got my my half side is wrestling. My other half is baseball and footballs and basketballs of all people that I've met so i gotta gotta add you guys to the collection oh. uh, i guess my first uh question that i would ask my first ever autograph in life was actually uh dusty baker and then manny moda and mm. i went to uh, a mets game and uh, they played the dodgers got my first autographs is it unprofessional to ask other players for like autographs or because it, it, in wrestling, it was kind of an unwritten code, especially now, like, hey, can I take a picture? Times have changed. But is there an unwritten code of like, hey, can I get your autograph or can I get something? Or do you just lie and say, can I get this for my kid? And you just lie about it and say, it's really for yourself. To Dimitri, <laughs> that my son has the same name. <laughs> well, you go ahead. All right. <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> funny that you um, say that. We do uh, ask for autographs. For instance, I was on the 2003 All-Star team and I – Got a whole bunch of all-star balls. And most of the guys, you can just tell the clubhouse guy, hey, you know, such, 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 can I get his autograph? And there are some guys that want you to go up to him and, and ask for the autograph, like Randy Johnson's one of them. And and rightfully so. He's a Hall of Famer. And, I mean, if you want his stuff, you go well, up to him. Let's not get carried him. away. But let's not get carried away, yeah. D, but I got you. But, <laughs> but, you know, but I did, hey, Alex Rodriguez, he did screw me over. You know, we were on the all star team, and 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 so we're playing. He was with the Rangers, and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I had three balls, you know, one for me and two for my sons. Can you do it? Yeah, yeah. He had a terrible series against us in Detroit. The clubhouse kid comes in and says, All right, Alex Rodriguez says he's not signing for anybody. I'm like, Okay, you cocksucker. And then <laughs> when he was with the Yankees, and I was like, You know what? I just love to drill him. So He's playing third base. I'm batting left-handed. I forgot who was pitching. Throws a ball. I hit a bullet. One hopper hit off his knee and into the stands for a ground rule double. But because he was on the sauce, you know, he he wound up getting up and limping it off. But I felt so good. I felt <laughs> validated because he screwed me over, especially after man-to-man. I went over there and asked him. Yeah, well, D, you you got his knee when he was on the sauce. I got him when he was off the sauce, and I made sure that whoever was pitching, I can't remember who it was. I didn't you sure he was off the mess. sauce? He, well, no, I'm not sure. But I'm going to tell you what, his ribs, he went down like a little bitch that he is. So, uh, Tommy, I'm the one that kind of surprised to shut up, but I'm really straightforward. And, and you know, speaking to you guy like this, I, yeah, Alex Rodriguez, 99.9% .9 of the people in baseball will be like, not a good dude. <laughs> Majority of people said that about Michael Jordan. It's also, I guess, part of his uh, competitiveness. I liked uh, where he's talking to the one person and, you know, he signs the autograph, but then there was a person 
asked him for an autograph and he looks and he has his security like totally like cut that person off. So the majority of uh like for me with with baseball players that I met, everybody was been super duper cool. Was there anybody like did you have a Bob Backlund moment where besides Alex Rodriguez, I guess somebody totally shun you? Well, no. I, you know, I, I never was really. Well, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dimitri, tell your Ozzy Smith story before. This is the perfect story for right oh. now. No, no. You okay. Got... That, okay. That's, that's different. No, tell bef- right before you got on, Tommy, he was telling an Ozzy Smith story. Okay. All right. Sorry, Ozzy. I'm about to throw you under the bus. Boom, boom. Anyway. Uh, Wizard of Oz, please. <laughs> no. No, it's, it's not a real, it's not a real bad one. It was, you know, I, I was drafted by the Cardinals in the first round, and and, and, and you know, I get to go to my um, big league spring training, and you know, I like memorabilia and stuff. So have Ozzy Smith, and his locker, his locker was full of shoes. It had about eight, nine different um, shortstop gloves, and I went over there and I was like, "Hey, can I get one of your sh- uh, one of your gloves?" He was like, "No," you know, and I kept asking him for it every day, you no. Know, thinking persistency will pay off. And he was like, man, you beg so much your hand look like cups. <laughs> and to this day, he, he still says this to me. I saw him last year at the um, the Negro League Hall of Fame. They do the um the Hall of the Negro League Hall of Fame thing there. And he was there and of course he broke out that line again. I was like, you gonna give me that doggone love. You're gonna come up missing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Just say, hey, you know, uh, have, Jason, no, you're really going to come up missing. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys uh, ever had the opportunity of either interviewing or meeting Lenny Dykstra? Yes, and I did a podcast with him. What? And, yeah. Yes, uh, with Robert Fick. Lenny is out of control. Dude, uh, Lenny is awesome. Uh, yes. And, and me growing up in, in New York and, and with the 86 Mets, but with him describing his competitiveness and like, you know, like we were talking earlier, uh, the fact that he realized and didn't want to kiss the umpire's ass. <laughs> and he told me why he's not in baseball anymore. He was just like, cause he did two things. And he said, one was, uh, he realized that the umpires controlled the game, controlled you. So he spent $500,000 to get dirt every umpire. And he knew who like would gamble, who was an alcoholic, who had a girlfriend. And he's like, I'd go up to the plate and be like, hey, uh, that girl last night, that's not your wife. And he goes, literally the next, <laughs> that when that happened, he goes, my strike zone went from here to yeah, here. He goes, no, I led the, the next two years. And when he said that, like, you know, when we're talking about correlations, I was just like, wow, that's so because other people control our lives. Like Paul Heyman saw something in me more so than Vince McMahon. And, you know, when if you play the game properly, but he was just like, I don't want to play. He's like, oh, there's plays. I got to, you know, buy the umps uh, dinner, buy them drinks, go out. He's like, F that. I'm, I'm going to blackmail them. So, uh, yeah, well, that, that's and so then I hear that, that's him. And, and I played with uh, Kevin Elster, and I'm a huge XM fan. I, Howard Stern, I've listened to for 20 some odd years, and I, I've seen Lenny that now. And it, it's just like, oh, man, Lenny, come on, man. You're like Lenny Dykstra. You're like one of the toughest. You're nails. You're one of the toughest. It's like, come on, man. I, I know he, he, hopefully, eventually, he'll hook 
hook up with Robin. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, Tommy, because you, you oh, yeah. work at those studios. And I love, I love my, but it's just like, man, you are that good. But Kevin Elster, and I'll tell a real, real quick story. I probably shouldn't tell this. Kevin, Lenny, Paul. I'm not going to delete it. So, so I'm telling yeah, you this well, now. You know I'm what? not going to delete it. it. He has Lenny, said enough about himself. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. So, but I mean, '97, uh, uh, Kevin Elster was with, and obviously Elster was with the '86 Mets and, um, in Pittsburgh. And you know, I was talking to him about, hey, so yeah, Elster and I would like go to you know Atlantic City's close to Philly after he was with the Mets, and go. And I'll put a prayer. He goes 4:30 uh, BP. He goes, our private jet would land like at four. We'd go, go get straight off the the freaking plane. Drive to the ballpark, take BP, and go at it again, and do it again. And I'm going, man, that is awesome, in, in like a really, really sick way. And go out and get a couple knocks. And so Lenny Dykstra, he was like, the '86 Mets were like a, a kind of a cool thing because I, I hated the Dodgers in that era or whatever. But the, so watching the Mets, and I knew everybody was my brother's team. That's what it was. But hearing some stories about, and then just hearing him on Stern now, it's like Lenny. And then you know, I, I my brothers. It's still involved with baseball and I know a lot of scouts, GMs, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, his son Cutter got drafted by, which I think is classic. He named his kid Cutter because he, from what I hear, that was one of the main pitches he couldn't hit because, right. you know, from a righty. Um, but, uh, God, I just, I love watching him play and, um, you know, I hope, I hope he's doing well and I hope he just gets things straightened out because Lenny Dyson to me was, you know, one of those guys you, you, you kind of follow. The way he plays the game, one of those guys, that's the way I played the game. Yeah, his competitive drive was amazing. His talent was amazing, and he realized uh, – I interviewed him for my podcast, and just some of the stuff that he said was just mind-blowing oh, uh, to care. me. And he it was will just, be brutal. No. Uh, the, the other story I was going to say, he's like, uh, Ted Turner, wasn't he involved in wrestling? And I was like, yeah. He goes, you want to know why I'm not playing? He goes, I could have hung around just on my name alone and signed with a bunch of different teams. He goes, but I hated the teams I played. And he goes, <laughs> and I would tell my teammates, if I, I see you talking or hanging out in the bar with Art, he goes, I'll come over and kick the shit out of you myself. And he goes, uh, old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, uh, batting practice, uh, not the, the batting circle, Ted Turner would be there. And you know who his wife, Jane Fonda? And he goes, I'd be up there. And he goes, I'd look at her. He goes, I'd turn right to her, right in front of Ted Turner. And I'd go, I'm going to lick your pussy tonight when this yep. is all over. Beautiful. <laughs> and he goes, all the owners kind of hated me because I would be like, oh, that's your wife, the girl you're with last week. <laughs> and wow. he goes, I did that everywhere. So I kind of got hated through the league. And I was like, you're an amazing athlete. <laughs> That's yep. all. I didn't know what else to say. No, that's, but, uh, that's pretty yeah, much man. all you can say. Let me <laughs> let me ask you this, Tommy, real quick. What was there a baseball player that you were shocked that knew who you were or was a wrestling fan? Uh I'll my favorite oh my gosh moment when random people call me. I get a phone call and I this is I'm working for Impact and we're in Orlando. And I, I get this phone and I pick up and I'm like, hello, my cool Tommy Dreamer, tough guy voice. And I'm a tough guy. Uh, <laughs> I love that. May I speak to Tommy, please? And I'm like speaking. And he goes, 
Hi, this is a uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, oh. I got your phone number from Dale Horborg, and oh. I literally like Wait. I became like a little fangirl. <laughs> And I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, wait, this is okay. This is a 407. And I'm friends with Dale Torborg. He's a, his father was Angel Jeff Torborg of the Angels. He works, he works with the White Sox. He was, and, he was the demon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm like, I, my heart starts pounding. <laughs> well, Denise the, played with him. I ever said to another human being, I go, Ken Griffey Sr.'s son? <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And he's Ooh, like, I humbled yes. him a little bit. <laughs> and I'm like, he goes, yes, I used to play baseball. I go, yeah, man, I know who you are. What can I do for you? <laughs> but Beautiful. the fact that Ken Griffey Jr. is calling my, and I said, Ken, I have no clue how that came out of my head. That's and uh, he basically wanted tickets for a WWE show. But, uh, that was my biggest fangirl moment. I don't meeting him, George Foreman, uh, and Ozzy Osbourne were the kind of where like where fans like sometimes meet you and like you just do like or say stupid things. Ken Griffey calling me, meeting Ozzy Osbourne. He's like, "You're the wrestler. Do you know the British Bulldogs? They can party." And I was, he's like, "I was at <laughs> WrestleMania. Go, yeah, watched it." <laughs> But uh, so those we all we all have those embarrassing moments. We're we're fans, you and I, of baseball. You are a pro wrestler, and every once in a while, we'll ask a guy who has that crossover who loves baseball as much as wrestling, which I think you might be the number one guy. And I asked Jason this question. I've asked Dimitri this question: Would you rather hit a game-winning home run in in Major League Baseball in a game that counted? Or just walk down the ramp at a WrestleMania, which you've 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 done, but you've taken bat in practice. What in your heart as a fan is more important to you? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you answer that, can the home run be like a World Series at least? Yeah, Since we're walking down. The uh, I'm, I'm walking. Ramp? I'm walking down the ramp. I don't care home run. I don't care Joe Carter, Bill Masgrave. I'm walking down the ramp. Uh, I think that question is so subjective because, like I said, uh, I, I I love baseball, and you know I've walked down that WrestleMania ramp. I, I I've done stuff like that, but you know I still I'm a big baseball fan. I go to so many games. I've been to every park. I'm old. I've been to parks that don't exist anymore. But uh, I get to, like I said before, I get to hit a home run at Game Seven all the time because I get that same rush. Uh, I think that's why I also go to sports because when the crowd erupts, I get that surge that you sometimes miss. Um, The best part about those moments and like, you know, for wrestling, we try to capture those moments, but I I watch so much, you know, baseball. I watch every sport, but just like you said, when you're, we're talking about those moments like I could remember Carlton Fisk, like as a kid, like, you know, go, go with this home run or Bucky Dent's home run that brought the Yankees. And there's just all these moments that come through your head. But just like, you know, Joe Carter doing uh, hitting his walk off there. There's just that's what sports does. And that's what sports does fans. It's a connection. When I think of my first autograph that I haven't thought of in so long, my, my father was young. He was healthy. My father had uh, Parkinson's disease um, and passed away from it. And 
But when I think of that, it's just, it's such an innocent time in your life. And I think that's the connection with sports between wrestling, baseball, anything. It's moments like that, uh, where it's, it's, it's magic. And that's why fans love us so much. Eddie players, before we wrap this up, we've kept you longer than you wanted. And I know Jason will probably talk to you for another minute or two here in a sec. Is well, no, I was, I was trying to find my Dimitri Young, Ken Griffey Jr. card that I have somewhere in uh, here. It's to, not to it's show me it. and Frank Thomas. <laughs> oh, you're talking that's about you the team Frank. card. That's you and Frank. No, you're, talking but, the, the opening, you're talking about the team card? I'm talking about the, yeah, the opening day lineup of 90-whatever, and I can't find it. Okay, too. so, Tommy, I have a bunch of cards here right now. We've already done a show about this that my old nanny went and got. Just so she could count them, she had OCD. Well, there's 100,000 cards. So I started going through them all and, you know, picking out the Dimitri Youngs and – Guys uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, guys I know and guys that, you know, I'm friends we, with. We can talk about all that later. But, uh, and some but, are douchebags. But, Tommy, <laughs> and, <laughs> any any players that you would like to hear some stories? Because you've told us some great stories about some wrestlers and we've talked some backstage stuff here and there. Uh, it's kind of our turn, you know. I don't know if there are any guys near and dear to your heart that you would like to hear about. Uh, first of all, I watched, like, again, so many documentaries. And uh, like we were talking about before, about exposing the business. You know, I watched that, the the Yankees thing where, you know, the, they talked about Mickey Rivers always wanting to gamble or who liked to drink uh, who like this, I'd rather just, you rather just keep your guys that you played the game. I'd rather just like to hear, uh, either them tell me privately or just kind of just leave it up to folklore, you make know? Your own, yeah. Make your um, own so on them. Uh, oh, I'm we'll, cool. We'll, no, we'll talk about good things. Nothing, no, no, no serious <laughs> dirt or anything like that. I don't like throwing people under the bus personally. Except for yeah, unless, they're they're people the bus unless they did something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, nah, I'm good, man. I, I just, uh, I was a big baseball. The first job I ever had was in my life was collecting baseball cards. And I, and I, for a dollar an hour, I worked at a baseball card store. Uh, I, I've just been a fan of the game. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really think of any stories like that stuff. I just hey, uh, you know what? I'm sorry know. to interrupt, but I, I have a Ken Griffey Jr. story for you. It'll make you laugh real quick. <laughs> All right. So he got traded over to Cincinnati after the 99 season. And so, you know, it's like, oh, man, I'm going to be playing left field with Ken Griffey Jr. And so in spring training, you know, we're out in the outfield, and he comes up to me and says, you're playing left field, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, cool. He said, everything from your right arm to the line is yours. Everything else is mine. That's that. Uh, I was right. Just uh, watching a Willie Mays documentary, and he was the manager. Basically, said anything that's hit in the outfield is Willie's, <laughs> and yeah. Willie's like the polo grounds. I had a run from center field to left field to right field. He goes, that was a job. And I was Great like, league. he goes, they're Great running league. me all over the place. Wow. I, I will make sure, by the way, we talked about this earlier, that you do get a Dimitri Young and a, and a Jason Kindle autograph because that would look good in your background, I think. Absolutely. A thousand percent. And, uh, we get all hey, back Jason, together. you have a bobblehead, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you want I like baseball. Put that back in your, your, your wall. I'll, I'll definitely send you a uh, you know, pirate, a brewer, uh, and an A's. 
I'm to baseballs and, uh, and uh, jerseys. That's about it. Nationals and yeah. Well, you know what? We'll send you some. We'll send you bobbleheads. We'll get your number from uh, or your address from Dennis. And no, nah, dude. You know what, Tommy? I love the fact that you said no. I don't want to know because I can just tell you're a positive, positive, positive guy, and that's how you have to be to to be as successful as you are and to get to where we were at, you have to be positive. Anything negative that comes in, in your life, and, and there's going to be a lot of negative stuff, but if you think negative, negative things are going to happen. And I dig your you answer down. on that. I dig your answer on that, meaning like you, you don't want to know the bad stuff. I have no problem saying it, and I'm sure Dimitri <laughs> doesn't either. But the fact that you're just positive, positive, that just shows why you're still doing what you're doing and, and you're, you're giving back. And, and uh, you know, I, I couldn't lock, thank you lock more. Lock room leader. Show. Locker room Locker leader. Room leader. And we had that conversation here a lot. Um, you know, a lot of these teams need a veteran presence in their locker room, uh, you know, a positive veteran presence in their locker room. And uh, I can already tell that you do that. That's why you've been around. That's why you're so well-respected. And once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, and you know, I hope you ever need anything from us, please, please let us know. And um, we'll be right there for you. He needs right, the autographs. You. So we got to supply that for him. I will. Uh, I'll take care of it on my end. When this all clears up, uh, when we're in town, you guys will be my guests. We'll all hook up uh, as well. And I appreciate being on this. I have nothing but respect for you guys. Uh, I know people would get on, you know, it's 162 game season and it's so, so long, but there's your off season is what tops three months and you're out there and uh, it's, you, you got to play hurt. You got people who come. It, it's the same business. You guys just have a, get paid a lot more money and you have a better uh, players union than we do. But well, I think in my it, lifetime, hopefully it'll change. Hope, hopefully it will. Yeah, and I, I will say one last thing and I, is that when you do have whatever you need to retire, man, you get to go on vacations and stuff like for the first time in 30 years. And I'm going to tell you what, that stuff is fun actually going on a vacation and not having to be on time somewhere at work or whatever, just being you with your family. That's fun. Yep. 